Good morning, everyone. Let's turn in our Bibles. If you have your Bibles with you, turn them to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 6. And if you did not bring a Bible with you, we have Bibles under the seats in front of you. And you can take one of those Bibles out and follow along there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those home. We'd love for you to have that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And while you are getting prepared for that and getting your notes ready, just a reminder that we do have a memorial service coming up a week from Tuesday for JAG. And if you uh, remember JAG at all, he, he would sit right over here and his goal at the end of every service is try to get everyone to clap. And uh, so uh, he's a special, special guy and uh, he went to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. And uh, so we're going to have a uh, memorial service for him celebrating his life and that is Tuesday night August 22nd so we'd love to invite you to be here for that first Corinthians 2 verses 6 through 9 says some really incredible words when I want you to think of what I want you to think about today is this term that I hear every once in a while, and it's a term called the simple gospel. The simple gospel. Now, those that use this term are right and wrong. The message of the gospel is simple enough for an illiterate person to understand, to believe, to be saved, but it's also profound enough that the most brilliant theologian cannot mine the depths completely of what God's Word says. Now, I want you to know that what Paul's doing here is he's letting us know that there is a wisdom of God. A wisdom of God in the gospel that challenges the sharpest intellect. That really makes you think. But let us not get confused about what it's supposed to do. Charles Spurgeon said this, Some people make use of Christ's gospel to illuminate their heads instead of making use of it to illuminate their hearts. They're like the farmer who once described this. The plowman rushes in and, and cries to the farmer, thieves, thieves, and the thieves rise up in a moment. Uh, the farmer rises up, sorry. And he grabs a candle, holds it to his head, rushes after the thieves. Can you picture this? He's rushing after the robbers and stumbles over a wheelbarrow. Because he's holding the light to his head instead of holding it to his feet. There are many who hold to the teaching of the gospel to illuminate their intellect instead of holding it down to illuminate their practice. And so they made a sad tumble. And they cast themselves into the mire of life. And I love how he says this, take care that you make the wisdom of God 
a thing of true wisdom, directing your feet in his statutes and keeping you in his ways. And that's the wisdom that we're looking at today in these verses. It's a wisdom that the world, as it says in what we're going to read here, is not going to understand. They're not even going to hear it. They're going to cancel it. This is for, as it says in verse 6 that we're going to read, mature believers. Some of your versions may say the word perfect, and it really means mature there. Mature believers who are growing in their understanding of God. So let's look at this scripture together. 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. Yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are being abolished. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. The wisdom which has been hidden which God predestined before the ages to our glory, which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Let's take a look very quickly here at some of the characteristics that Paul lays out for us of this wisdom. And first of all, in verse 7, as he lays the groundwork in verse, verse 6 of speaking of this wisdom, verse 7, he says, first of all, this comes from God, not man. But we speak God's wisdom. You catch that? We speak God's wisdom. You see, this, this wisdom tells the mature saint about the vast eternal plan that God has for his people and his creation. The wisest of this world, the wisest people of this world could not invent or discover this marvelous wisdom that Paul is sharing from God. So first of all, this wisdom comes from God. He then moves on and says, just so you know, everyone, it's been hidden. But we speak God's wisdom in a mystery. That word has the background and meaning of a secret military plan. So it's a sacred secret, a truth that was hidden in pages past, in ages past, in phrases past, but now revealed to the people of God. And it's Paul, in this case, whom God is using in a special way to share these mysteries. And that they're related to the gospel. And you're going to see the, he repeats this pronoun, we, we. And, and so Paul's not leaving out the other apostles. He's saying, we are presenting this mystery to you now 
that has been revealed. A wisdom which has been hidden. And it involves then God's ordination. Which God predestined before the ages to our glory. And that simply means, everyone, that God made the plan. That God has set the plan in motion. And it will succeed. The the plan of redemption is what we're looking at here. This plan of redemption has a plan that has been spelled out for generations. It is not an afterthought. It's not something that God goes, oh, I better come up with a plan after man blew it. It is the plan. It was the plan. It will be finished when the plan is finished. And we have to accept the truth of this divine plan, this predestined plan, a plan before the ages. And that should blow our mind. Even the death of Jesus was ordained, right? That was ordained. Acts 2, we read parts of that earlier. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. Not a plan that was shifting you know, you remember reading those little books that if you chose this thing, you turn to page 12, and if you choose this thing, you turn to page 22? That's not the plan. A definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. First Peter Peter says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was foreknown, but the mystery has been revealed. So this is ordained by God, this wisdom that Paul is letting us know about, that we do know about. And this wisdom results in the glory of God's people. And I think too many times, so many times in the English language, I don't know if you guys are guilty about this, but I can be guilty about this sometimes. You tail off at a sentence and you don't really focus at the last word sometimes. And that is awful in this case. Which God predestined before the ages to two words. Our glory. This wisdom results in the glory of God's people. And that's one of the amazing things about this plan. Every single person that follows Christ, that becomes a disciple of Christ, that believes in Christ, 
that is, His people are glorified. You are changed. The old is made new. The old clothes are gone. The new clothes are on. What is broken is now made whole. What was sinful is now made clean and pure. When you accept Christ, you are a new creation. You're glorified. You're glorified. And one of the greatest sermons, really, and writings on that plan of the ages is found in Ephesians chapter 1. And three different times in that passage, Paul explains that all of this is done, this glorifying us is really done to do what? Glorify Him. Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the beloved, Ephesians 1.12, so that we who are first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Uh, verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. It should be staggering to us that we share in the glory of God and we are the ones that he points to. And he says, look, these are my people. These people look like me. And I'm not coming up with that out of thin air. Jesus said in John 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. The wisdom of God should blow your mind. Because Jesus is saying, the glory that was given to him by the Father, I give to them. My question to you this morning is, do you believe that? Do you believe that you have been glorified by God? That they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Do you live like that? Does the world know through who you are in Christ? Does the world know when they look at you, oh, oh yeah, that's all God's doing. Jesus goes on to say, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. See, this is, this is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of man is, hey, there's people out on the streets and they're addicted to drugs, so let's go give them some more syringes. Right? That's, that's the wisdom that we live in here. 
Romans 8, and we know that for those who love God, all things works together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? To the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he did what? He glorified. Amen? Are you living like that? Are you excited about that? Do you realize that? And, and this wisdom, as Paul goes on, we've only hit one verse, everyone. This, this wisdom... As Paul goes on here, he says, which none of the rulers of this age has understood, in verse 8. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, who, who are these rulers of this world that, that Paul mentions here and also back in, in verse 6? Certainly the men who were in charge of the government when Jesus was on earth, they did not know who he was. When Jesus prayed on the cross, that's evident in Luke 23. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So he's echoing that truth. But the ignorance doesn't excuse the sin. Because every evidence had been given by the Lord that they should have believed. But I think there's another possibility here. I don't think it's just referring to that. Paul, I think, may have been referring to the spiritual and demonic rulers of this present age. And this would make more sense than with verse 6. Because Pilate and Herod and the other rulers at that time were not recognized for any special wisdom. Pilate stood around and just did this. Okay, I guess we'll go that way. So, the wisdom of this age has its origin in the rulers of this age. And according to scripture, who ultimately is the ruler of this age here? Satan. He's, he's the prince. Which then fits this in a better sense. Of course, the spiritual rulers would have to work in and through the human rulers. And would you agree with me today that Satan is very active in working through human rulers? But who's still in charge? But if, you, if this interpretation is true, and I, I think it is, I think it opens up a really interesting area of consideration and I think many of you get this already, but if not, just remember that Satan, the satanic forces, I really believe this, everyone, they did not understand God's eternal plan. They do not, they did not have God's wisdom. They, they could understand from the Old Testament scriptures that the Son of God would be born and he would die. 
but they would not grasp the significance of the cross because that truth was what? Hidden by God. And it, in fact, is now through the church in Ephesians 3.10, these truths are being revealed to the principalities and the powers, Ephesians 3.10, so that the church, that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. We have to understand that Satan thought that Calvary was God's great defeat. But what was God's wisdom? It turned out to be God's greatest victory and Satan's defeat. Colossians 2, Paul says it this way, he disarmed, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So from the time of our Lord's birth into this world, Satan tried to kill him, right? He tried everything possible. I'm going to use a king and try to kill the babies. I'm going to tempt him myself and try to get him to bow down to me. I'm going to use the rulers of this world and the religious rulers of that time that were not following God, and I'm going to get him killed. Satan did not understand the results of Christ's death and resurrection. If the demonic rulers had known what was going to happen if they did that? Do you think they would have done that? Do you think they would have engineered the death of Christ? Of course not. But this was the wisdom of God. This is God's eternal plan. It was God who was in control, not Satan. And even though Satan has his dominion today, is Satan in control? No. And we need to understand then in verse 9 that this wisdom applies to the believer's life today. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this, this verse is used many times at memorial services, applied to heaven. But really, the basic application of this is for today. This verse is a quote, an adaptation of Isaiah 64.4. And the context of Isaiah 64.4 relates it to Israel's captivity, awaiting God's deliverance. The nation had sinned, had been sent to Babylon uh, to, to get punished. They cried out to God that he would come down and deliver them. He did answer their prayer after 70 years of exile. And God had plans for his people. And they didn't have to be afraid. Because God, in his wisdom, has the eternal plan. And Paul is applying this principle to this church here in Corinth, to us today. 
Our future, everyone, is secure in Christ. No matter what the circumstances may be in our life, God's plans for his own, his people, are wonderful. We cannot begin to completely understand it, comprehend it. God has ordained all of it for our glory, as it says there. It is a glory all the way from earth to heaven. For those who love God, every day is a good day. It just may not look like a good day. It may not feel like a good day. But when God is working his plan, you can go, today is the day that the Lord has made. And I will do what? I will rejoice and be glad in it. God is working his plan. And we can be sure of the best. And it's when we fail to trust him, when we fail to obey him, when our love for him grows cold, that's when life takes on a somber yuckiness. But if we walk in God's wisdom, knowing it's God's plan and knowing it's for our glory and it glorifies him and who we are through him, guess what? We start to enjoy the blessings in the midst of the craziness. In the last few weeks, then, we've considered some fundamental truths of the gospel. The last few weeks, we've remembered that the whole message of the gospel centers in on the death of Christ for us, his redemption, and it is part of the Father's eternal plan. And the believers at Corinth, then, had forgotten the cost of their salvation, and that's what I've been kind of getting at all morning. Too many times we forget the cost of God's salvation and we forget the plan. You get your eyes off the cross, it's amazing how far off the path you can go. And they get involved in dumb stuff. And they wander because they lost the wonder. They wander because they lost the wonder of the greatness of God's plan for them. And they needed to return to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at next week. And everyone, Holy Spirit's pretty cool. So today, first to those who are in the room that may not be Christians yet. You know, the things of the gospel, they're confusing to those that aren't Christians. They are. And maybe you walked in here this morning and you, you listen to me and go, that just seems foolish to me. And you know what? 
those of you who are Christians are like, how in the world could that seem foolish? It's like basic stuff. But I will tell you, if we went down to the local coffee house and started talking like that, people would be, you guys are crazy. You guys are nuts. This is foolishness. But maybe today you walked in with that, but maybe something is happening inside your mind, in your heart, and you're hearing about the gospel, you're hearing about that God has a plan, and that plan is Christ, and Christ died for you, and he rose again. And when you accept Christ as Lord and Savior, the old is new, the the new you is glorified, you're without sin now. God looks at you and goes, "My, my son, my daughter. And maybe, just maybe today, you're like, wow, never thought about being justified in that way. Where I wasn't trying to do it, and it's God doing it for me. And that may be happening to you right now. And maybe, just maybe right now, you are seeing yourself more and more as a person that cannot get back to God by herself. And more and more as a person who needs a Savior. A person who's violated God's laws, who knows that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the Savior. He is God's plan. He is God's wisdom. And if that is happening to you this morning, that is actually a little bit of what we're going to be talking about next week, too. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit begins to show you how glorious Jesus is. And you feel an attraction. A magnetic attraction to Jesus. And all of a sudden, you want to follow Him. That is the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit draws us in. But let me give you a warning as well. If today you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Don't, pull it, don't put it off. Call on the name of the Lord today. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to come up front. You don't have to write it on a piece of paper. You cry out inside your mind, inside your heart, Jesus, save me, I believe. And he will. That's the simple gospel that we cannot understand. Now, those of us who are Christians, I've said it a few times this morning, I'm going to say it again. Stand in awe of the wisdom of God. We have been instructed on how amazingly wise this gospel is. And we need to stand in awe of it. It's a wise message. And he crafted this wisdom for our glory. I... I don't think I hear that enough sometimes because I think we have this push. Oh, I've got, you know, 
you know, everyone gets prideful then and all that. No, that's not what this is about. You should be different. You should be joyful. You should be the one that people go, I, I don't know what changed in this person, but they're awesome. It's God glorifying himself through you. It's the power of God for your salvation. Stand in awe of that. Secondly, give the Holy Spirit then full credit. Thank God for sending the Spirit for you. Understand you would still be in darkness and blind and not born again if, if it weren't for the Spirit of God. Third, rejoice that the Spirit's not done with you yet. As I would like to say, he's still hovering over the deep side of the pool of my heart. He's got more things to teach me, more things to teach you. He's teaching us more and more and more the significance of that final statement there in verse 9. That there are things which eye has not yet seen and ear has not yet heard. Isn't it amazing when you learn a new truth that's been in the gospel forever and you go, oh. We need to remember that we have the mind of Christ if Christ is in us, right? Use it. Use it here, use it there. Use it when you think about your time. Use it when you think about money use it when you think about your marriage use it when you think about everything you have the mind of christ use it feed on this scripture feed on the word to know what it means the wisdom of god and what's amazing is that the mind of christ Always, 100%. And if you're Yogi Berra, it's 150%. The mind of Christ, 100% of the time, totally harmonizes with the words of Scripture. And that Spirit will minister to you. God's eternal plan that he has prepared for those that love him. Do you love him this morning? Have you given your heart to him through Christ? Then stand amazed at what he has done and what he will continue to do in your life. Lord, we thank you for this time of teaching.